Hi, I'm Eric Chaffin, Senior Pastor of Beach Street First Baptist Church in Texarkana. Welcome to The Upward Call, our weekly Beach Street message cast. If this is your first time to connect with us, we invite you to discover more at www.beachstreetfbc.org. Beachstreetfbc.org. Thanks so much for joining us. We pray that today's message will inspire and challenge you as God speaks to you through His Word. Jeremiah chapter 1, we're actually starting a new series called The Person God Uses. And we're going to go through most of the first chapter of Jeremiah today. In fact, most of the series will focus on the book of Jeremiah. Now, before we dive into this passage, I need to give you some historical context. As I've said before, if we really want to know how the Scripture is going to apply to us in the here and now, we really need to know what was being said back in the then and there. So, here's kind of what's happening here. The message of Jeremiah is, is one of judgment. Judgment that's directed at the kingdom of Judah during a time of crisis when the Babylonian Empire threatened the very existence of the nation. Now, when you read all of the Old Testament prophets, uh, you kind of encounter this sort of message because the prophets basically served as what I would call covenant enforcement mediators. In other words, when the people broke the terms of their covenant with God, he gave the prophets to give a word to them. And here in chapter 1, we discover the Lord's purpose for Jeremiah. Jeremiah has been appointed a prophet who would announce judgment on Judah for turning to false gods and breaking the covenant. And sure enough, uh, eventually that's really what happened. God used Babylon as an instrument of judgment because of Judah's repeated disobedience in pursuit of pagan gods. And in 586 B.C., the Babylonians took the, they sacked Jerusalem and they took the third of three waves of captives back to Babylon to serve uh, Babylon. But as we read God's word to Jeremiah here in chapter 1, I think you're going to see pretty quickly what the big idea is behind this message to Jeremiah. That basically God empowered Jeremiah to speak the truth and he promised to sustain him with his presence. And we'll dwell more on that thought as we go on. But read with me, if you would, Jeremiah chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 4. Verse 4 says, The word of the Lord came to me. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. But I protested, Oh, no, Lord God, look, I, I don't know how to speak since I am only a youth. Then the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for you will go to everyone I send you to and speak whatever I tell you. Do not be afraid of anyone, for I will be with you to rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. Then the Lord reached out his hand, touched my mouth, and told me, I have now filled your mouth with my words. See, I have appointed you today over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and demolish, to build and plant. Then the word of the Lord came to me asking, What do you see, Jeremiah? I replied, I see a branch of an almond tree. The Lord said to me, You have seen correctly, for I watch over my word to accomplish it. Again, the word of the Lord came to me asking, 
what do you see? And I replied, I see a boiling pot. Its tip tilted, its lip tilted from the north to the south. And then the Lord said to me, disaster will be poured out from the north on all who live in the land. Now, skip down to verse 17 if you would. Verse 17, God says to Jeremiah, now get ready, stand up, and tell them everything that I've commanded you. Do not be intimidated by them, or I will cause you to, be, uh, to cower before them. Today, I am the one who has made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the population. They will fight against you, but never prevail over you, since I am with you to rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. See, God had a message to the prophet Jeremiah that I think is a message to you and I here today. I believe that the truth that's here on display is a truth for all of us reading this passage. And, and that brings us back to the big idea behind the passage. But we're going to personalize it just a little bit. Yeah, God was speaking to Jeremiah, but I think he's speaking to us. So the big idea is God empowers his people to speak truth. And he promises to sustain them with his presence. Now, let's be honest with ourselves. When someone asks us to do something, if there's a chore, a job, something that somebody needs help with, we can be pretty artful at making excuses. Can we not? Oh, well, you know, I'd love to help, but uh, you see, I threw out my back bowling. Yeah, 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 that's it. That's the ticket. Or, uh, well, you know, I've got a relative coming in from Hawaii that I've got to go pick up from the airport. Or, uh, well, there's, there's been a death in the family. My, my, my grandma passed away. Really, I'm sorry to hear that. That's the third time this year, isn't it? Uh, or, the voices told me to clean all the guns today. Or uh, the hazmat crew's here. They won't let me, let me out of the house. Or uh, here's my favorite. When I got up this morning, I accidentally took two X-Lax in addition to my Prozac. I can't seem to leave the bathroom, but I'm really happy about it. <laughs> now, let's get more specific, because I think in the Christian world, yeah, you're going to think of that one about Wednesday, and you're going to laugh again. <laughs> in the Christian world, we can be awfully bad about making excuses not to obey God's call to serve. Oh, it's the preacher's job. Well, yeah, the preacher has a big job, but you know what his job is according to Ephesians chapter 4? Verse 12 says it's to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So, you know, the preacher doesn't do it all by himself. He equips people to serve alongside him as we do it all together. Or some people would say, well, you know, that's really not my gifting. Or, uh, I've already served. Let somebody else do it. Or, you know, I'm too busy, or I'm too tired, I'm too young, I'm too old. I mean, we could go on. Benjamin Franklin once said, he that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. So, guess what? Jeremiah was pretty good with the excuses. He had every excuse when God called him to be a prophet to Judah. And that kind of that resonates with us because 
Jeremiah's excuses are often our excuses for not heeding God's voice when he calls, for not stepping up when there is work to be done. But as we're going to see in this passage, every excuse that Jeremiah lobbed at God, man, he just hit it right out of the park with a promise that he made in response to every single excuse. So let's look at some of those together this morning. All right, there's five of them in all. Excuse number one, the task is demanding. Well, yeah, I mean, look at verse five. God had called Jeremiah to be a prophet to the nations. Not a priest like his father and grandfather, a prophet. Now, a prophet was chosen by God, authorized by God as a spokesman. He declared the very words of God to the people. When he spoke, it was like God was speaking. Now, we often think of the prophets as, you know, being uh, people that tell the future, you know, foretellers. But actually, when you, when you get right down to it, only about 8% of the material in the books of prophecy in the Old Testament are predictive in nature. In fact, most of it is more prescriptive than predictive. In other words, the prophets are saying to God's people, okay, this is what you've done, and this is what you need to do in order to make things right with God. Okay? Now, while a prophet spoke messages, more often than not, to present situations, those messages did definitely have future ramifications. But being a prophet was not a cushy job by any stretch of the imagination. Being a prophet was demanding. Prophet never knew from one day to the next what the Lord was going to tell him to do or tell him to say. I mean, you read some of the stuff in the books of prophecy that God asked the prophets to do, and you're like, dude, that is so messed up. He said to do what? Uh, The prophet labored to change the present so that the nation nation would have a future. Uh, Prophets, instead of dealing with individuals, they addressed whole nations. And very often, the people that they addressed did not want to hear the message that was being sent. And unlike those in the priesthood, prophets did not have any guaranteed income. They were walking by faith day by day. Now, does that sound like anybody you know? Yeah, think about the Gospels. In addition to being priest and king, Jesus was also called to be a prophet. He traveled from place to place. He challenged people to change, to repent, to place their faith in him so that their future in heaven would be guaranteed. Jesus, like those prophets, spoke to the hearts of the people. And receiving Jesus' message meant letting it change our hearts. Most of them didn't want to accept that message because, well, it's a message of repentance and that means change and and who wants to do that? So, unfortunately, it really seems that way today. People just don't want to change. But uh, though that task might seem daunting, I mean, a prophet to the nations? Really? Whatever the task is that God's calling to you, for you to do, uh, you know, it might seem daunting, but God's call to keep going, to not quit, to not give up, is backed by a promise. Now, here's the first promise I want you to get this morning. We have the promise of God's purpose. We have the promise of God's purpose. 
Look again at verse 5. He says, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. Now, that, that Hebrew word for chose, it's a funky little word. Uh, it's pronounced yada. Now, yada, it's often translated as no, but uh, this particular word, it, it packs a punch. It's really got more meaning to it than just simply, you know, being aware of, of something. It carries with it the idea of recognition, of worth, and purpose in the person who's actually known. Okay, so God knew Jeremiah. God chose Jeremiah. God appointed Jeremiah before he was ever a twinkle in his daddy's eye before he was ever formed in his mother's womb. Jeremiah was known by name, handpicked by God, commissioned to serve. And there's a timeless truth in there for, for you and I to, to latch on to. That God knows you. God chose you. God appointed you. Church, that ought to give us a great sense of purpose because the promise of God's purpose, well, it helps us to let go of our own silly schemes and, and our own plans and to receive God's plan without fear. Like both Jeremiah and Jesus, we need to accept that the future doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. We belong to God. We are His. And He has a distinct plan and a purpose to use us to make His name great. All right, so let's recap. For those who feel like God's task is too demanding, we have the promise of God's purpose. Okay? But let's look at the second excuse here that Jeremiah makes. Second excuse is, my ability is inadequate. Look at verse 6. But I protested, oh, no, Lord God, look, I don't know how to speak since I am only a youth. Uh, a lot of you who are parents, you got plenty of youths who have no trouble speaking whatsoever, right? Uh, yeah, you know, here's what he's expressing, though. Jeremiah felt inadequate as a public speaker. And when I read that, I realize, hey, you know, there really is nothing new under the sun because I seem to recall Moses making that same excuse back in Exodus chapter 4. Oh, God, I, 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 I don't talk so good. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, church. Um, I totally get that. I totally get where Jeremiah is coming from. I can relate to the late Calvin Miller. He was a well-known pastor and author. He once wrote this about his own call to the ministry. He says, I was so inferior. Even the neighbors noted it and pointed out to my mother as I grew up. In my late teens, one of my sisters felt led of God to help me get in touch with myself by telling me that in her opinion, if God called me to do anything, he must have had a wrong number. When I told my pastor I was called to preach, he didn't necessarily feel that God had a wrong number, but he was concerned that I might have had a poor connection. <laughs> I'll be brutally honest with you. There's hardly a day that passes by that I'm not humbled 
by the task that God has charged me with here at Beach Street. <laughs> I'm like, God, this is just too good. God, really, I'm, me? I'm the guy that you wanted to come and, and lead this church? Surely there's somebody else that's more equipped for this task. But there's another timeless truth that I want you to get from all this, church. God will never call you to do something that His Holy Spirit will not enable you to do. You see, He has a way of overcoming our insufficiencies. And in fact, I think it's the person who's most aware of his own inadequacy. Uh, that's the person who's most dependent on God for his all-sufficiency. You know, it's my inadequacies that cause me to rely upon God more fully. And as the Apostle Paul would say, his strength is made perfect in my weakness. His glory is manifested in my inadequacies. So, so Jeremiah, you know, his excuse was that he lacked ability. Okay, we get that. But I want you to note God's promise in verse 9. Yes, our talent might seem inadequate, but God always equips those that he calls because we have the promise of God's provision. The promise of God's provision. Look at verse 9. Then the Lord reached out his hand, touched my mouth, and told me, I have now filled your mouth with my words. Now, as you're reading this, understand that the touch really wasn't so much meant to purify as it was to inspire and to empower Jeremiah. It was a symbolic act. It signified that the gift of prophecy had been bestowed upon Jeremiah. You see, the way God works, he doesn't always necessarily bless the silver-tongued orator, but in fact, the one whose tongue has been touched with coals from the altar. God might not always choose to use the most gifted or talented person, but the one who's been touched by the hand of God. In fact, God often uses very unlikely people to shake up a church or a community, even a, a nation, like he did with Jeremiah. We should never underestimate the power of God's touch. All right, so let me, let me recap, and then we're going to move on. So for those people who, who feel like their ability is just not up to snuff, as they say, uh, their ability is inadequate, we have that promise of God's provision. But here's excuse number three. The timing isn't right. Look at verse 6. Jeremiah said to God, I am only a youth. Now, the word youth, it's the Hebrew word na'ar. It can, it can refer to a young boy. It can refer to a teenager. It can even uh, refer to a young man. And here, here's the thing when you're studying biblical languages. Usually, a, a word has a, a whole semantic range. There's any number of English words it could correspond to. And the way to find out how it's used specifically is to study it in context. Usually, context will give you a key as to the specific meaning. But here in this particular passage, it seems like the, the, uh, the translation is just deliberately um, ambiguous because it's unclear just how old Jeremiah was when God called him to prophesy. Oftentimes in the scriptures, that word na'ar, it can mean a young unmarried man in his, maybe his teens, his early 20s. 
Most scholars, because of that, think that Jeremiah was probably around 20 to 25 at the time of his call. But you see, Jeremiah's reply here is not so much, you know, a, a revelation of his age as a sense of maturity. He felt inferior. He felt inexperienced. He was intimidated by the size of the task that God was placing before him. But God had to come back for Jeremiah's response. We see the promise in verses 7 and 8. Yes, let's be honest, God's call can come at an inopportune time, but he never sends forth his servant alone because we have the promise of God's presence, the promise of his presence, even in the worst of situations. Remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 23? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. He's with us. God says in, in Deuteronomy 31, it's also repeated again in, in Hebrews chapter 13, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Now look at verses 7 and 8 here. Then the word, then the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a youth for you will go to everyone I send you to and speak whatever I tell you. Do not be afraid of anyone for I will be with you to deliver you. This is the Lord's declaration. Now, I want you to note something about this promise here though. This particular promise is conditional. You see, before Jeremiah could experience God's presence, he had to respond with obedience. He had to go where God sent him. He had to speak what God had told him to speak. And he had to reject fear. You see, church, when God calls us to a task, he doesn't normally give us a detailed roadmap with exact step-by-step -step instructions to follow. And then he just drops us off at some point in the map and, and leaves us to our own resources. That's really not the way he works. He kind of doles out the information on a need-to-know basis. He doesn't give us the whole picture at once. And there's a reason for that. Because he knows as we walk with him in faith, we learn to trust him more fully, rely upon him more fully as he begins to reveal his plan for us. And that experience creates such a, a bond of, of intimacy with God that his presence gives us the strength to stand in the face of every obstacle. As we read of the life of Jesus, we know that he experienced that same presence. He and the Father were one. I mean, the, the Jesus who was both fully God and fully human had the strength to go on because God the Father walked with him. Which brings us another timeless truth that we really need to incorporate into our lives. It makes a huge difference. Knowing that when we're being sent, somebody's going with us. We know we don't have to walk that lonesome road alone because we have a traveling companion. We have the presence of God. So for those who feel like, okay, God, your timing's not so great, he's given us the promise of his presence. All right, but moving on, excuse number four. The teaching is dangerous. Okay, so let's be candid. 
God didn't give Jeremiah a joyful message to, to announce. You know, it wasn't a message of deliverance. It wasn't a message of, hey, everything's hunky-dory. God's happy with you. He wasn't placed in Judah to tickle people's ear with some kind of feel-good message of, of self-improvement about how to live your best life now. That's not what it was about. You know, it wasn't Ed McMahon showing up on your doorstep with a big old check from Publishers Clearinghouse. That's not what Jeremiah was about. The message was dangerous. God had sent him with a tragic message of judgment. And as a result, Jeremiah would be misunderstood. He'd be persecuted. He'd be arrested. He'd be imprisoned. More than once, his life was threatened. You see, church, the sad reality is that some people just don't want to hear the truth. They don't. Because the truth comes with strings attached. Usually the truth means that we have to change. We have to change. Yet, in Jeremiah's role as a covenant enforcement mediator, he told them plainly, hey, you know what? You're rebelling against the Lord. You're disobeying His law. And because of that, there's going to be judgment. Now, I want you to note some of the, the figurative imagery that you see in this particular passage. In fact, you see it a lot in the books of prophecy. A lot of figurative language. Uh, and there's a reason for that, but we won't explore it this morning. But after the symbol of the almond tree, there in uh, the almond tree branch in verse 11, then in verse 13, God uses this figure, this, this image of a boiling pot to communicate his, his coming wrath. Look at verse 13. Again, the word of the Lord came to me asking, what do you see? And I replied, I see a boiling pot. It's lip tilted from the north to the south. Now this would have been a pretty familiar image for most uh, Jewish folks because in most Jewish homes there would be a fairly large a wide mouth washing pot or a, a cooking pot. Now, the unusual thing about the pot in this passage was that it wasn't level. It was tilted away from the north. The pot could at any moment spew its boiling contents toward the south, scalding the people of Judah. So the pot was a symbol. It represented the nation of Babylon that would invade and conquer Judah. A and again, the reason for the judgment it was because Judah had violated the covenant. They'd rebelled against God, pursuing false gods. It's because of their idolatry and their rebellion. So, Jeremiah's message obviously was not, it was not by any means popular, okay? But you know what? There's somebody else that we know a little something about whose teaching was not popular. At least not with everybody whose teaching contained both mercy and judgment, grace and punishment. Of course, we're talking about Jesus, the Messiah. His teachings were dangerous too. In fact, I mentioned that Jesus was prophet, priest, and king. It was the prophetic part of Jesus' ministry that really got him into trouble. That's what really honked people off. That's what cost him his life. So I say that to say, you know, if, if God is asking you to do something unpleasant, you're in pretty good company. Okay, but what's God's promise for those, for those of us who have a dangerous message? For those of us who have an unpleasant task? Well, we see it in verses 18 and 19. 
Yes, what God says through us might be considered a dangerous message to some. But God gives us the strength to endure because we have the promise of God's prevailing. The promise of God's prevailing. Look at verses 18 and 19. God says to Jeremiah, Today I am the one who's made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the population. They will fight against you, but never prevail over you, since I am with you to rescue you. Now, notice the use of figurative imagery there again. This time in more uh, architectural terms, you know, the fortified city, the iron pillar, the bronze walls. Symbols of something that, you know, that were, something that was this unshakable, unbreakable, solid. You know, just like the God who conceived him. Just like the person that Jeremiah would go on to be. These things would characterize Jeremiah. So, God reassured Jeremiah. Yes, attack you they can, but overcome you they can't. And there's a timeless truth in that for you and I. The person who stands with God will prevail in the end. You know, somebody once said, one with God is a majority. In other words, alone, we're helpless. With God, we can prevail. There's a 19th century pastor and abolitionist, Henry Ward Beecher, and he once preached a series of messages about drunkenness and gambling. And let me tell you, it really enraged some of the men in his community, men who made a profit off of these things. And so during the following week, he was actually accosted on the street by a would-be assailant, pistol in hand, the guy demanding a retraction of what he had preached the preceding Sunday. Take it back right now, he demanded with an oath, or so help me, I'll shoot you on the spot. Shoot away, was Beecher's response as he walked calmly away, hurling over his shoulder this parting remark. I don't believe you can hit the mark as well as I did. Let me tell you, that was a dangerous statement, was it not? Well, some people consider the message of salvation in Christ to be dangerous. Because, again, it, it messes with the status quo. It calls for people to repent, to trust Him, to stop living the way they were living and the way He has determined we should live. That message has the power to literally shake up the world. But for those people who believe that our gospel message might be a threat to some, we have that promise of God's prevailing. He is the victor. All right, so here's the fifth and the final excuse that we see from this passage uh, in Jeremiah. And that's this. Do I have to go now? <laughs> Oh, parents, how many times have you heard something like that from your kids? Really? Do I, do I have to go to bed now? Hey, I was that kid, man, growing up in a little town in North Texas on Saturday nights when mom told me to go to bed after gun smoke. No, I, I want to stay up and watch Carol Burnett. Can I stay up a little bit longer? No. You know, uh, do I have to go now? Look at verse 17. You see, God was expecting immediate action. From Jeremiah. God said, Now, 
get ready. Stand up and tell them everything that I command you. Do not be intimidated by them or I will cause you to cower before them. See, in Jeremiah's culture, getting ready had a very specific meaning. If men were going to, to go and work, if men were going to, to run, if they were going to do battle, what they had to do was they had to gather their robes up in a very specific way. And they would tie their loose robes up with a type of belt. And that custom is actually where we get the saying, gird up your loins. See, in that culture, to, to gird up your loins, it, it was a metaphor that meant get ready for action. You know, today we might say, roll up your sleeves, it's time to go to work. Let's get after it. Let's get ready to rumble. Now you realize I did that just to make sure you're still awake, right? Okay, good. Jeremiah was in for a struggle. No, it wasn't easy. Yet God called Jeremiah to act. He was called to move out among the people. He was called to deliver an offensive message. He was not welcomed, nor would he be accepted. In fact, he would anger his hearers. Likewise, the message of the gospel of Christ is going to be offensive to some people. But for those of us who have been called to unpleasant tasks, God has a promise. Yes, God expects obedience immediately. I mean, if we don't, we're in danger of God's wrath. But we have the promise of God's power. Verse 17, do not be intimidated by them or I'll cause you to, to cower before them. You see, immediate obedience is the only appropriate response when God calls. Because delayed obedience, that's not obedience at all. There was one that you'll recall, had a very unpleasant task. The most unpleasant task that God ever asked of a man, the call to die on Calvary. Yet Jesus obeyed. Now, no matter what you might think about Jesus, remember this, his heart was a willing and obedient heart. The one who serves as our example in all things always did what his heavenly father directed. There's no hesitation. There's no questioning. There's no circumventing. Only obedience. So for those of us who are reluctant to act now, we have that promise of God's power. So let me, let me get a little personal then. Let me ask you, what about you? I mean, how has God called you? What is he telling you that you need to be doing? How is he instructing you to serve the body of Christ? You know, and, and what should you do with this message this morning from Jeremiah chapter 1? How do you proceed from here? Okay, well, let me offer you some suggestions. Number one, pray. Pray. Pray about how you can serve the kingdom. Now, don't tell me that you can't because as long as you draw breath, you have usefulness to the body of Christ. Ask the Lord to show you how you should be involved if you're not. And if you are already serving the body of Christ here at Beach Street, then ask God to confirm that 
to confirm his will for your involvement so that you know without a doubt you're exactly where you need to be doing exactly what he wants you to do. And after you've sorted all that out through prayer, well, the second thing is volunteer. After you prayed to seek God's guidance, then get in the game. Sign up. Do something. I, I don't know what it is. I mean, usher, teach, cook, change diapers in the nursery, you know, visit shut-ins, something. Church, there are plenty of needs right here and right now that need to be filled. Things that we're desperate to fill. I mean, we need Sunday night group leaders for our teens. We need Sunday school teachers for three-year-olds. We need children's teachers and children's helpers for Wednesday nights, children's church helpers and, and kinder church teachers and, and children's greeters for Sunday mornings. You know, and that's just the below 20 stuff. I mean, we could go on. We always have need of people who are willing to be trained to be small group leaders or Bible study teachers. We could always use more men on the weekly prayer team. People willing to be outreach leaders for their life groups. I mean, it goes on. Here's part of the problem, I think. You see, for decades now, this whole seeker-friendly, attractional church model has been creating a whole generation of consumer Christians who think that the church exists to grant their every desire and to cater to their every preference. preference. But you know what? It's not about my worship experience. It's about the, the greater good of the body of Christ. Folks, it's all about Him. And one of the ways that we worship Him is by serving His church. So my challenge to you is not to be one of those consumers that just sits in a pew and soaks it all in and never gives anything back. I'm asking you to be a contributor instead of a consumer. I mean, if your circumstances ever changed, you know, to the point that you are required to leave Beach Street, then make sure that you leave a vacancy. What do I mean? Serve in a way that when you leave, you're going to be missed. So pray. Pray about what God would have you do, and then do it. And if, like Jeremiah, you're still uncertain about what you should do, or if you're going to be able to pull it off, the third thing, trust. Trust in the fact that God will not call you to do something that His Holy Spirit will not enable you to accomplish. Remember the big idea? Yeah, we've come full circle that God empowers His people to speak the truth and He promises to sustain them with His presence. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it, the Scripture says. Psalm 138, 8, the Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. If God is telling you to serve, and it's highly, it's highly unlikely He's telling you not to serve, if God is telling you to serve, then He will fulfill His purpose in and through you. Yes, sometimes the task might seem daunting, 
But remember these promises that God made to Jeremiah, the promise of his purpose, his provision, his presence, his prevailing, and his power. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you'd like to have a personal relationship with God, it's pretty simple. It's repent, believe, and receive. We acknowledge that we're all sinners who fall short, and we repent. That word means to change your mind about the way you've been living. Then you choose to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for you, and you receive by faith God's gift of forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. If you don't have a church home, we'd love to have you join us at Beach Street. Small group Bible study begins at 9.30 on Sundays, followed by worship at 10.45. There's a midweek Bible study on Wednesdays at 6. You'll find us at the corner of 6th and Beach Street in downtown Texarkana. And for more info, visit our website at beachstreetfbc.org.